Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons podcast. In this episode, we talk about PID control, Carmen's appearance rider, and when Adam predicts will become subservient to the robot overlords. The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 88, Reddit Questions 2, August 6th, 2015. All right. One, two, three, four. That was a deep clap. Uh, From who? From you? I don't know. Somebody? (laughs) (laughs) I think it was you. Uh, No, it was before I clapped, but I don't know. uh, Jeff, I meant. Oh. Could be these new headphones. Maybe I, oh, you got new headphones. Yeah. Well, I I heard an extra deep tonight, too. Okay. So, whatever. Maybe I I just clapped in the proper manner. I don't know. Isn't this the time we normally ask a question anyways? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is the time about the time we asked the uh, the opening question. Do you do you have one? No, no, I'm still hungover from the tech summer picnic. <laughs> <laughs> what the tech what? summer picnic? What's that? Oh, I, if, I mean, we lost Brian. He's in Alaska. You, you guys don't remember? Oh yeah, yeah. Brian's not with us this evening. He's off. Uh, he's off taking a little vacation time, enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, so, but uh, did one of you guys come up with the opening question? We always have an opening question, you know. No, I'm terrible at improv. Oh, I, but I thought it was your week to come up with the opening question. <sighs> it's not on the responsibility chore wheel. <sighs> Jeez. Do, really? Do I have to put it up? Do I have to put it on the chore wheel to get things done around here? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I guess you do. That's what we agreed on. It's in my contract. <laughs> there were also brown M&Ms in my trailer this week, and I explicitly said no to those. Well, I, I will. Ha- I will have to talk to the crew again about this. You know, they do appreciate what you add to the show, Carmen. But you know, parts of your rider are very difficult to comply with. Well, is it so hard to find good groupies these days? <laughs> well, sometimes. But you know, we've spent a lot of money recently on the uh, on the studios, on the facility, and the uh, the moat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, we probably shouldn't have filled it with champagne. Yeah, and so uh, so there's a little less money and a little less you know focus on on your particular needs. But uh, I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll t- I'll talk to the crew. Yeah, maybe we could just contact Mars directly and set up a shipment of pre-sorted M and M's. That'd be nice. Do do we need to, do we need to have them with your initials on each M and M? That would be great, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be. You used to still do that, like for real. You used to be able to get a custom message on an M and M. I don't know if they still do that. It can't be a very big message. I mean, it's even smaller than Twitter. Well, people <laughs> would get like pink M and Ms with like you know their baby initials on it, or blue M and Ms, or something like that. Oh, okay, that, that's at least that's what I remember from the commercial. Yeah, I remember that too. It looks like you can still thing. get. Well, maybe not. I don't know. If anyone's yeah. an engineering intern at the M and M factory, that would be cool. Please come on the show. Well, well, using <laughs> this amazing thing called Google, it looks like yes, you can still get personalized M and Ms. Ooh. <laughs> Are they expensive? What's the going um, rate these days? Um, looks like you can get pictures put on them too. Let's see. What? Yeah, like like <laughs> little little drawings. Oh my god! Can we sell tech M and M's? We'll get a, we'll get like TEC put on there. We might have to. We'll have to uh, check into that. 
Oh, man. For a Halloween episode, we get the orange like in our logo with like the brown M&Ms, even though I don't like them. And then, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're totally stewing M&Ms, even if I got to pay for them myself. <laughs> right. But, guys, M&Ms are not. We still don't have an opening question. We're- well, I mean, why don't we just talk about goofing off on the internet? And what better place to do that than Reddit? <laughs> oh, well, okay. Is there some place on Reddit we could go to find questions about engineering? There, there's got to be a few subreddits, but I just want to vent real quick. The personalized M&M site doesn't have a, a category for podcast uh, logos pre, ah. predefined. And so, I, don't, I don't really like that. Yeah. Well, you know, they can't expect everything. You know, sorry, Carmen. I mean, the president did a podcast for crying out loud. They, they should have that in the idea gallery. Doesn't get much bigger than the president. The Pope, maybe. Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Speaking of Reddit and Stephen Hawking, he's currently doing an AMA on our science. When you say currently, you mean like this very minute? Uh, yes. It's a little bit different format of an AMA though. Um, today or whenever the thread opened, they opened it up for questions. And then because he's responding actually himself, he's typing out the responses. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to be submitting replies over the next few weeks as he you know gets an answer put out. Okay. So it's like AMA over the course of a month or something. Hmm. Yeah. But it's actually Stephen Hawking answering himself. And, you know, it's a lot of artificial intelligence questions that I've seen so far. Sure. Everybody wanted to know if artificial intelligence is going to take over the world. Pretty much. Whether we'll be subservient to our robot overlords. It's when. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and, and so, Adam, your guess is what year? Does it, is it start with two zero or is it have have another digit after the two? Oh, geez. I, I'm going to guess – I'm going to guess 2100. Zero, zero. I don't have an exact year, but it will be before Chris's chip printer on the amp hour. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing it's going to be a couple of years, right about the same time as the chip printer, so that the, the robots can um, more easily manipulate themselves and take over. Well, I think we need the better robots to build the chip printer, because we're not doing a good job of it. So, yeah, that's why I said it'll come before. Well, be inter- it'll be interesting to see what kind of design mistakes the robots make, given the kind of design mistakes the people make. Yeah, they'll still hook up the five volts wrong or forget the connection altogether <laughs> on some important net. Wait, will, will it take the robots three trips to the hardware store every time they try a project at home? <laughs> that would actually be really funny. <laughs> of course. That's a universal law of physics. I think it was the fourth law of robotics, too. The unwritten one. <laughs> so they will have unwritten rules as well as engineers having unwritten rules. Is that the case? Correct. Cool. Well, did you uh, did you find anything in this this great forum called Reddit? Is there is there something in there that we can talk about? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I found this cool thread. It was cross posts on a couple of different subreddits, and it's mm-hmm. like a five minute video about how PID control works, and they use it in the context of a car trying to drive in a straight line. And it was a, a really intuitive video, and I liked it a lot. Okay. And and so uh, PID, what does that stand for? Uh, proportional, integral, and derivative. And um, 
there's a number of different ways you can do this, but the way I know best is to use an op amp and, um, or three or four, depending on how exactly you want to go about doing it. And, you okay. know, to, did, do we, do we mention this as a control methodology? I didn't know. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so, just diving right in. All right. So for those engineers that are listening that uh, might, may not know PID control, proportional integral, uh, derivative control is a means for, uh, for, uh, uh, tracking systems. If you have a reference signal and you want your output system to track it, you know, obviously you could have open loop control and, uh, try to guide it. But as, uh, as error signals creep in, as, as the, the plant changes over time, or you end up with disturbances acting on your plant, uh, you want your system to, uh, to make corrections and, and continue to track your reference signal. PID is a great way to do it. So what did you learn in this PID video? Making cars follow lines is harder than it looks. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty low level. I I, I don't want to say I didn't learn anything because I'm I'm by no means a control expert, uh, mm-hmm. despite having seen PID back in school. But um, it's just always good to just see the basics again presented in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. it gives me a new way to think about it. So so is this like a theoretical animated type thing? Were they actually showing cars that were under? PID control? Um, I think it was like a little remote control RC car that you can get that they had modified, but they didn't go into a lot of detail about it. But it was definitely a car like driving. Mm-hmm. And they do a quick, you know, the the easiest method of control is is just a bang bang where they, you know, the what they were trying to control was the steering wheel angle, you know, to mm-hmm. stay on the line. And if you do bang bang, it's you either turn 30 degrees left or 30 degrees right. And those are the only two ways you can turn. Um, right. And, you know, they said, you know, it's very choppy and, and crude. It wouldn't be a smooth ride. And then they go from right. there to say you want proportional. So if you're farther away from the line, you turn more and then you back off as you get closer. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they go on to talk about derivative and integral and, you know, how that makes you follow the line better and you're uh, less prone to disturbances like a pothole or, you know, rocks in the road. Right. And and so uh, bang bang control is is very simple and it's uh, not horribly energy efficient, uh, but it it gets used a lot. Yeah, uh, it's process it's processor efficient or resource efficient, I guess. Doesn't take much yeah. to implement. Yeah, well, a lot of thermostats are bang bang. You know, the heat's either on or it's off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I, I don't know. Maybe one of the fancy Nest thermostats or whatever are more complicated. Oh sure, but it it also depends on your heating system. Does your does your heater have on off? A, a lot of years ago, it just you know one fan speed and it, the heater was on, either on or off. Uh, and more recently, they've added more you know more complexity to this uh, control so that it can run the fans at different speeds and and adjust the heat uh, that's coming out of the system uh, for greater energy efficiency. Hmm. Interesting. I can't say much, know much about HVAC. Maybe that would be a good guess to get on. Yeah, so it would have to be somebody else. I basically know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I, I, cha- I changed my thermostat out. So, you know, if you want to have me on the next episode. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what color wires are and I can read instructions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all it took. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so PID control is, is widely used uh, mostly because it has just those three knobs. You know, you've got the Proportional gain, integral gain, and uh, differential gain. Mm-hmm. All acting upon the same error, error signal. 
acting in, and yeah, that's the heart of it is, is you have your reference, what you want it to be doing. So if you want your car to go 70 miles an hour and the car is actually going 68 miles per hour, you have an error signal of two miles an hour and your proportional control will try to uh, bring it. If you have just proportional control, your pro- proportional control will say, Hey, I've got an error of two. I should move a little bit towards uh, making it go 70 miles an hour. If you're, if you're actually traveling at 40 miles an hour, your error signal is big. And it says, oh, big error. We should, we should step on the gas and, and uh, increase it a lot. So proportional gets you there, uh, but will never get you to exactly the reference signal. So you need integral control to integrate your error over time. And that will add up and eventually put you to the other side of the error and uh, get you to start to match the error signal. But that can be slow. So we have differential control and that, uh, that acts more quickly. So that speeds up the response. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly how it works. That's my astounding comment to go off of that great radio we got going on. Well, well Jeff, it sounds like you actually know something about these things. Um, so I've been trying to do PID on my automated brewing system, uh, which has been mm-hmm. referenced previously in several episodes for anyone who's interested. Um, yeah. I keep having this problem that I put my water into my pot at 60 degrees and I want it to mm-hmm. be 150 degrees and it, it overshoots and it's way above and it keeps trying to keeps trying to run while I'm over. Okay. Do, do you know what this issue is? Uh, so are you using a full PID loop or are you just using proportional or PD or PI? Full PID and, and I'll get above my set point and it will still be on full power. Uh, then maybe you're, controls aren't operating correctly i actually know the answer um it's an integral oh. term <laughs> I, I was i was trying to bait you into it sorry jeff <laughs> oh okay it's an, it, that integral term um and i'm experiencing something called integral windup that's what i was oh, looking I for there's a bob Pease article on that <laughs> no seriously I'll, I'll see if i can find it um because of the the ramp up time is so long it gives that integral term enough time to to keep integrating up right. that that once I get above the proportional um, term just isn't strong enough to pull it back down, um, and that integral term takes so long to to come back down. Um, okay, apparently you've already solved the problem. Uh, yeah, just not well. I still don't have it tuned right, but <laughs> <laughs> I did discover my problem after uh, several days of, of troubleshooting. Well, that, that's how lessons get learned. Exactly. If, if you look it up on Google, you really don't understand it. But if you spend three days really toiling away, you remember that lesson. Yeah. And then I decided to give up on PID and go to fuzzy logic. Oh, no, you're not supposed to do fuzzy logic. <laughs> Wait, but, well, let me ask. So what was it? So PID is used fairly widely. It's pretty well known. What made you want to go to fuzzy logic other than maybe you had an interest? Interest and to be honest, I, I understand it better. Really? Yeah. Okay. So what, what, uh, we may have talked about this before, but just how much, uh, controls do, uh, do most civils get? I know that there, you know, control systems are used in, in stabilizing buildings during earthquakes, that kind of thing. Um, I had absolutely none in school. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> um, the where the fuzzy logic comes in is it it relates to certain geo uh, ge- geographic 
concepts that I took in a graduate spatial statistics course. Okay. Um, just as you get closer to something, you, you, the, um, the influence of, of two points is directly proportional to the distance from them and curves and things like that. Right. Yeah. So much like in, in fuzzy logic where you, you would have, um, this thing influences you so much and this other thing influences you so much depending on how far you are from either thing mm-hmm. on your scale. Um, you know, very similar concepts exist in, um, well, in, in, uh, groundwater and contamination flow and, um, geography. Okay. So, but, uh, What's the tie to fuzzy logic? I mean, the uh, fuzzy logic was kind of, I thought, giving assignments to whether something was, you know, you had uh, control periods where, you know, big air, medium air, little air, and you sort of had weightings. And as you move between those weightings, you, you different parts of the algorithm were triggered. Well, your weightings would be like each each thing, each location would have have different weightings. Um, and, and I'm trying to think of a good example because this has been a very long time. Um and then your distance would be, um, well, your error term. Your location mm-hmm. would be your error term. Um, and maybe I don't understand physiologic as well as I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, all right. Maybe I don't know PID as well as I thought I did. Yeah. So. Uh, I found a couple EDN links to uh, some PID controller articles by Bob Pease. What's all this PID stuff anyhow? That's just a, a nice basic overview to go along with that video and then Mm -hmm. um what's all this fudgy fuzzy logic stuff anyhow that's a three or four part series i can't remember and it's why bob pease doesn't like fuzzy logic and how it's like misapplied and how you can do it in pid there was one good example that talked about the wind up you were you were mentioning and it had to do with um oh he was given a history and he was talking about like steam engines, I believe. I can I know the text of the article, but I cannot find it, and it's radio to keep googling. Uh, <laughs> but he, he talked about it in terms of like a steam engine, and it's it's in one of those articles about fuzzy logic that he talks about, and uh, it, it's a good reading if anyone you know wants to go through those articles. I know I probably will tomorrow on my lunch just so I can find that and not go crazy. <laughs> so how about you guys? What have you found on Reddit? Well, you know, I found uh, I found an article that is about uh, the state of Indiana, where I live, and it had an article that I thought was fairly in- uh, surprising, but fairly interesting, and that was that the uh, the state uh, had created a jobs creation committee, and they issued some preliminary findings on eleven occupations that they thought maybe should no longer be licensed or regulated by the state. And, uh, you know, so some of them were those who were, you know, hairdressers, that kind of thing. Should the state be regulating? They had some uh, thoughts about that. But the, the one that seems to have drawn the most fire is their recommendation that engineers no longer be need, need be licensed by the state of the Indiana. Licensed professional engineer? Well, I, what I sense is perhaps they don't understand the difference between most engineers and those who are professional engineers that are signing off on buildings and bridges and that sort of thing. Probably not, uh, no, judging by the sound of it. Right. But I, I 
there's a, uh, uh, see if I can find the quote here. There's a Republican Dave Walkins, a Republican from Warsaw, served on the original committee and remembers how hard it was to deregulate an occupation. And so uh, the, he took he, some heat from cosmetologists and barbers for being involved in that effort. And then he says he doesn't know specifically about engineering, engineer recommendations, but questioned why engineers would be deregulated but not architects. And so his quote is, if you have an engineering degree, why should the state be deciding if you are a competent engineer? I could understand and maybe even buy in, but that will be hard to get through, he said. Well, and I just, I thought that was interesting. email the, if he wants. <laughs> but I, I thought that was interesting of, of that, uh, you know, it, it, the, the notion, and many people have it, that an engineering degree means you are a competent engineer. <laughs> And the, the, as we've talked in past episodes, uh, the engineering degree is a license, you know, a driver's license uh, to start your training as an engineer in industry, uh, but has, says nothing about your competence. And, and even that, I, you went through this more recently than I have, Adam, but, you know, w- when I went through the PE uh, exam, you know, it, it, I suppose it was a tad more applied, but basically you were, you know, again, it was a fairly academic a set of exercises, problems you were solving. And I think the more, the more important thing is there that you have to have, I can't remember. I think when I passed, it was four years of experience and you needed three or four uh, PEs to sign off on, you know, your abilities. And that I think is probably the more important part of that entire process. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. Um, the PE exam itself was, I mean, it, in my mind, very much an academic exercise, which, which made it kind of awful. Uh, mm-hmm. four or five years after graduation. <laughs> uh, right. Um, it's like, I, I, I haven't taken a test in, in, I mean, a tough, a difficult test in, in years. And now I have to right. take this eight hour long exam. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I would definitely agree. It, it does, um, it provides two things that I think are very important. Um, one is you, you have to get PEs working in your field to, kind of sign off that, yes, you've done this experience. You, you've shown uh, growth as an engineer over the last several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is it stops you from coming right out of college and thinking you know how to do everything. It, it kind of says, okay, you can, you can work, you can learn, but somebody who's been doing this has to sign off, mm-hmm. um, which – I think it's really important in things where, where people die if you mess it up. <laughs> it's kind of funny when you right. think about it. You know, you could be a surgeon operating on a guy and you have to go through all the licensing, but the guy who's in the hospital you're standing in is structurally sound, doesn't have to be licensed in Indiana. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. <clears throat> well, and, and I, I tell people when they, these sorts of things come up, you know, if, if that surgeon messes up, the one person on the table dies. If that engineer messes up, the thousand people in that building die. Yeah. Anyway, my 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 point was not to to delve too deeply into the uh, the local politics of Indiana too particularly, but uh, I did enjoy that comment that uh, they were deciding if you have an engineering degree, why should the state be deciding if you are a competent engineer? Well, and to some degree, I would argue um, it doesn't necessarily say you're a competent engineer anyway. It says you've met these requirements. And you have some experience. Yep. Yeah, but that's true of that's true of any certification or accreditation. There's no way 
there's never any way to know that you are you are who you purport to be and and you have the abilities you claim to have and the best we can do is you know some sort of proxy and and that's you know that's where your engineering degree or your college degree and and these licenses that's that's the best we can do yeah that's why when you find somebody you like working with and who's competent you you do anything you can to work with them once again because <laughs> you don't you don't always run across those people that's definitely true all right so you've got the – did you find something there on Reddit, Adam? Well, uh, I grabbed one specifically, but it seems to be a common trend right about this time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's more of a question. Uh, but there's a lot of a lot of young engineering students or soon-to-be engineering students getting ready to go off to college. And they're asking, oh, what computer do I need? What are the most important things I can do? What can I do to prepare for engineering school? Mm-hmm. Um and I was wondering if I was hoping we could take a couple minutes just to give a couple of uh, bits of advice to any of those uh, up and coming engineers who are headed off to college who may be smart enough to uh, be listening to this podcast, which I, I think is a, a great start is listening to this podcast. Yeah, that's pretty much all you need. Yep, that's it. I can't think of a thing, <laughs> anything else. Listen to our words of wisdom and all will go well. Pretty much. Yeah. All right, next question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you you know, I think that a lot of it is, is, uh, and we've talked about a lot in this podcast, is is trying to find some things other than, you know, what's going on at the university. When you're off to college, I mean, yes, what you're learning there is important, and this is your, you know, your academic foundation for your career. Uh, But there's so much to engineering beyond uh, you know, uh, partial differential equations. And so anything you can do, you know, if you can get on clubs, you'd be on the, you know, the SAE Baja club or the, uh, the, the formula club or, uh, you know, doing, taking project courses or going on plant trips or, or just anything you can do to, to get yourself out there seeing what's going on in industry and seeing what's going on in the research labs. If you're more the academic type, uh, it's it's not all you know sitting sitting in your in your dorm room or whatever you know your apartment wherever uh doing equations yes part of your engineering job is doing equations and understanding equations and attending to detail but there's so much of the job that it goes on outside of the classroom yeah absolutely it's it's about relationships and uh um college is the time to have fun uh you know, school's important but there's lots of other things to do during college uh, that you'll look back and, and wish you had done. It's like, you know, the the uh, the Baja or uh, ASE's Concrete Canoe or Steel Bridge competitions. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the really valuable things to do in college. Um, obviously, you need to take your studies seriously. But um. so philosophically, I've offered a few points. Uh, do you guys have any more, you know, more practical, you know, uh, what kind of uh, what kind of books or what kind of calculator or what kind of supplies they someone should bring or you know you're a little more recent than I am. I'll say it. I'll be that guy. Get a Leatherman. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't have to be you know the the giant charge or the surge with the you know four hundred tools and saw blades and all that jazz. But uh, you know I had. Um, the squirt, one of the squirt models, and I got the one with the wire strippers, the E4. Mm-hmm. 
or the ES4 or whatever they're calling it now because they've changed it around a little bit. And even just something like that to slip on my keychain or throw in my bag was real nice during lab. You know, if you're breadboarding something, you got the little uh, jumpers that only go one or two slots over. Um, using using the little pliers because they have the spring on them was real nice. Stripping wires, a small screwdriver to twiddle pots or whatever you need. Right. Um, just just real handy. I think they're like you can get them for about thirty bucks on Amazon. You know, you're gonna you're gonna spend a bunch of money on a sixty four or hundred twenty gig USB drive you'll never fill with schoolwork and right. <laughs> why not spend another thirty on a tool that'll help you out in internships and wherever else you go. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd say don't freak out about your computer. Um, I see a lot of people. Oh, I've got to get this most advanced, fancy computer because I'm doing three three D modeling and simulation. Um, I don't think I did anything. I mean, a little bit of AutoCAD on my personal computer, um, and I wish I would have gone to a smaller, lighter laptop that doesn't weigh fifty pounds to to haul around um, to to class and to study with. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and and usually early, you know, especially in your undergraduate degrees. You're not getting that deep into it to understand the the concept of things. The models are pretty simple, and and it's the kind of thing that you know most computer programs can can uh, crank through in about you know a second and a half, if that much. So it's, you don't need 17 cores in order to make that stuff happen. Yeah, and, and unless you're using some really specialized program, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of those programs take advantage of too many cores, anyways. <laughs> they're well, they're getting better, but yeah, you're right. True. I know for at least some of the stuff we use at work, you have to have an even more expensive license to use more cores Mm -hmm. than just the basic license. So we have a lot of basic license for our one simulation program and then a couple floating license for anybody who really needs to crank through some stuff. You know, and a lot of that stuff wasn't available for personal machines, at least where I was. Um, Yeah, exactly. It was on the lab computer and you had to use the one in the lab. Um, Excel and Word, and getting very familiar with the equation editor in Word, um, which... Mm-hmm. It's actually not as bad as people think. There's there's shortcuts. I haven't used them in a while, but you can type kind of like tech and get, get you know, Greek letters and stuff you, in You there. just have to get used to the space bar. Yep. So mm-hmm. if, if, you want, if you want to type omega, it's backslash O-M-E-G-A, uh, and then you hit space, and it will make it omega. If you want to have uh, natural frequencies, it would be slash omega underscore n, and then you hit space, and it will put the uh, it put the n as a subscript or yeah, a subscript to omega. So yeah, it, it's not too bad. It's not as powerful as full blown LaTeX, but uh, if you if you're stuck editing in Word, it's pretty good. And yeah. It's, it, yeah, it was always worked fine for my lab reports. <laughs> And it's way better than now than in 2005. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, where you kept having to switch yeah. switch back to math type every time you wanted to write an equation. Yep, yep. Learn the shortcuts. You'll use it a ton. <laughs> um, yeah, right. I, so, so I'd also say a, a drop. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, so I was going to say, uh, and so you guys would have an opinion. I, it'll be interesting because we have a civil, electrical, and mechanical here. But uh, two of the more important things I had in school. Are it were a good mechanical pencil and a a good eraser, and I was uh, partial to uh, I think it's Staedtler S T A E D T L E R. They made a Mars dash plastic eraser. It's a white eraser, big size. But I can't tell you how many students I see in in my class 
uh, we had an exam today and they're sitting there with the back of their, you know, their yellow number two pencil trying to race something or, or they're sitting with the, you know, these teeny tiny little racers, get yourself a big honk and a racer. So when, you know, you write down a bad equation, you can quickly make it go away and uh, make it pretty clean, do a clean erasure. And uh, you spend a little more for these, but they last forever. And uh, I've had some of these around for, you know, 10 years. They, uh, they last for a long time, but they, they're good erasers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't have a dedicated eraser, uh, but I used, and I'll throw a link to them. I used Twist Erase from Pentel, mm-hmm. and they they had a very long eraser, so you could use it for a long time without uh, without worrying about running out. Right now, was it, it would get you through many a test? Now, was that the type that had the 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 tube that clicked down through? You had kind of a long noodle like eraser. Yes. Okay. Wait. Uh, sort of. I mean, it was a mechanical pencil, but there was, you know, a good inch-long eraser you twisted into it. Okay. And, and so you would just twist, and the eraser would come up. That's the name. Yeah, that's the same thing I used. Um, yeah, because it was nice and convenient. You had one yeah, thing. I still have a couple of those as well. So, so I'm looking at mine now. Mine is the Pentel Click Eraser. Was that what you were talking about? Uh, mine was the Twist Erase, not the Click ah, Erase. Ah, okay. Yep. Yes. So it's the full pencil. It's it's the big fat ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I used 0.5 lead because 0.7 might as well yep. be crayon. Yep. 0.5. I agree. And and so, uh, what was your position on engineering pad? Did you were you made to use that? Yes. Uh, yes. And I really liked it though. Buy a box as a freshman. <laughs> That's good advice. If you if you seriously you can order them online. Don't buy them from the bookstore. You can if you were. I think I got together with three guys and we we bought a full case, and I've got a half a pad left. <laughs> but it, it was way cheaper than uh, than buying the pads from the bookstore one at a time, or even buying them from Walmart one at a time. Right. Now, I what was sort of interesting, uh, uh, at least interesting to me, was in this uh, class I'm teaching this summer. We were going through Bode plots, and. Uh, so when I was a student 30 years ago, in order to plot, uh, do these plots, I had to go out and buy my own uh, log graph paper. And uh, I said to them, you know, well, well if I, we have an exam, I'll present the paper. Or, you know, if, in, even in the homework, I gave them a sheet that already had the log paper on them so they didn't have to go out and buy it. And I said, you know, so you don't have to go out and buy log paper. And they, they looked at me like I was had two heads that <laughs> – what is what is this log paper of which you speak, and why would anybody buy it? <laughs> uh, I can't say I ever had to use any log paper. No? You, you never had to do Bode plots? How did you do that? Uh, you know, for homework, it was just you just drew a rough Bode plot. Oh, okay. And if it was anything more than that, you had to do a SIM or MATLAB plot. Okay. Yeah. So it was more of, you know, do a rough, you know, at Naya, you know, 10 kilohertz, you get your pole, so your phase is at 45 degrees and – Okay. Yeah. It, well, it didn't have to be exact or to scale or anything. Cool. And yeah. One, th- one thing I would add to the list was be a uh, – you don't necessarily have to pay for it, but you know, get get a Google Drive going or um, a Google Drive folder or a Dropbox folder or figure out what your lab, lab partners like to use and, and use that. It was so easy in lab when we'd have, you know, one or two computers and someone's taking scope shots and someone else is writing uh, – you know, our numbers in Excel so we could plot the data and everything just goes into that one folder that we can all access. You're not worrying about jump drives or flash drives. It, it really made things nice and easy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the the other habit that uh, beginning engineering students might want to get into, and I'd be interested in your comments, is is learning to use Git. Or you you know, if you want to use GitHub because it's it's available and convenient, but getting in the habit of having revision control. Uh, so that when you, it's probably a good thing I never practiced in school. <laughs> <laughs> so at least when, you know, you, you make changes because it's so often you make a change and you go down the road and you go, oops, that didn't work. I got to back up. And so if you get in the habit of make, uh, using revision control, that's a handy tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would even say you mentioned flash drives there. Um, I gave up on flash drives quite, a, quite early and I just got myself a, I don't know, it was a, I think it was about a two gig. No, it had been more than that. Two hundred gig. There we go. Uh, hard drive. <laughs> um, just a little external hard drive. It was, you know, way easier than dealing with. Oh, which flash drive is this on? But I may have just dated myself a little bit there, because um, I've realized mm. that um, flash drives now come in capacities similar to my little hard drive. Um. <laughs> yeah. That's true, but 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 I mean the the idea is the same is is find something that you can carry around easily that has uh, sufficient space to to hold everything that you've done, and also has read write access times that are reasonable. Yep. I mean you can go out and buy USB uh, flash drives that have lots of capacity, but if you want to if you actually want to read everything off of it or write everything to it, you're going to spend twenty or thirty minutes waiting for all that to happen. So, yep. Yep. Um, and the other thing is uh, is some sort of search engine. I've talked about – I think in past episodes I've talked about the search engine I used. I've, I had an old one that Yahoo gave out one year from a company called X1, and so I still have that and I still use it. But there are other uh, search engines. Not search engine is the right word, but but you know search through your data. So if I'm writing a paper and I'm trying to remember, well, I wrote a paper th- four years ago, but I used the word – you know, uh, rubber ducky in it, then I can search for rubber ducky and it will go through and uh, find that. And it's a much, much faster than Microsoft's built in search. I know Microsoft search has gotten a lot better with that. At least in my personal experience, I don't have gigabytes upon gigabytes of files. So which, uh, which version are you on? Eight, seven or eight? Uh, Or have you converted to 10 already? Windows eight. Although I am converting to 10 (laughs) as soon as possible. Uh, probably not because I'm lazy and slow, but probably sometime in the next month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I also agree with the, the Redditor who recommended a good backpack because you will be, you know, you don't always get a chance to run back to your dorm or apartment and you could be on campus for a while. Mm-hmm. So get something durable. It's better than spending, you know, you don't need to spend $600 on some fancy camping backpack, but don't spend 20 bucks at Target and get something that'll rip. Right. Engineering books are heavy. Mm. I always tried to carry as few books as possible, but... Yeah. I carried the three I had homework I had to get done in. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah. I was always a fan of the uh, the Dakine or Dakine. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. D-A-K-I-N-E. Um, they have quite a few... You know, they're, they're skater backpacks, but you can get some. There's one called the Campus that I had for a long time that had a built-in cooler and uh, just a lot of pockets, which I'm big on for organization. And it was it was tough as hell. I actually passed it on to my brother, and I got a new decking. I got the terminal now, in case anybody cares. See, I actually had two <laughs> backpacks in college. Um, at least where I was, mm-hmm. our classes were Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. 
So I had one backpack for my Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, one for my Tuesday, Thursday classes. Look at the rich kid. Well, I didn't buy, I did buy the (laughs) the cheap backpacks though. (laughs) Nah, I had one that I just beat the hell out of and those held up great. Yeah. You're going to be carrying it every single day. Uh, so. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Mm, just a general college tip. Don't worry about buying everything for your dorm room in one go. Get get the essentials, you know, like bed sheets and, uh, you know, some fruit cups or whatever. And, and worry about stuff like shoe racks later when you actually get to college <laughs> and see what you need. I went shopping with my cousin who, uh, you know, she was very nice and, you know, told me some of the stuff I need. But, man, I remember moving out at the end of my four or five years and – I was like, wait, I never even opened this. I did not need it. I could have returned it years ago. <laughs> just bring bring whatever you think you're going to spend. Spend, you know, just, just go go to school and have the extra money. If you need it, there's probably a Walmart within driving distance or some other store. Right. Or Amazon. And that would be for our U.S. listeners. Of course, some of our international listeners would, would not be able to find a Walmart nearby. <laughs> so is Walmart not like McDonald's It's taken over the world I think they're trying It takes a while Although uh, McDonald's is struggling I read in the, financially And uh, I just read where, so I hear. where Amazon Just uh, blew past Walmart In number of You know size of annual sales Or something like that So I would have said Target But they just pulled out of Canada I think So <laughs> Alright so uh, So Carmen You have another question in there somewhere Sure. Uh, not really a question, although it uh, it was in Ask Electronics, and this one I, I enjoyed because there was some good discussion, and it also uh, harkens back to some of our old episodes with Bob Schmidt. Um, you know, his book in the first edition was called uh, "The Dog Barks When the Phone Rings," mm-hmm. an engineer's guide to solving problems, and this is one of those stories where uh, this guy's TV went nuts whenever his door was open or closed. And, you know, the Reddit, he helped with some help from Reddit, track down what was going on and um, ended up being a problem with the alarm also being kind of on the same circuit. And like the sensor in the door was, I, I don't know if he ever officially figured out if it was miswired or not, but um, when he when he took apart that sensor, the, the problem stopped. Mm-hmm. So it was just one of those bizarre troubleshooting issues. And then, you know, people shared their own troubleshooting stories and it was good stuff. And so did was there any sort of diagnosis eventually of exactly what was going on? It, the miswired sensor and the alarm that was also on the same circuit, you know, when the door opened and you know, the sensor would say door open or door closed, mm-hmm. that would that would screw, you know, somehow back onto the mains power and cause problems with his TV. So it was, that, it was, that was the best so thing. It was, got. A, it yeah, was a power issue. Uh, from what I could tell, yeah, reading through the thread, I'm trying to see if I can find the exact answer again, but it it was just interesting reading the thought process of how to diagnose things, you know, run an extension cord from the TV down to another room where you know for sure it's a different circuit, you know, that could tell you if it's a problem on the circuit or the TV, um, how to check the coax then. Right. Just, just general troubleshooting stuff and it's it's you know not super technical or engineering i guess but just the thought process for diagnosing bizarre uh bizarre occurrences sure yeah there's a nice comment in there about how uh brownouts you know which instead of being a power surge is when the power just kind of dips mm-hmm. and you get an undervoltage or so 
Um, you know, how that could still cause damage by, you know, if a FET isn't fully turned on, you know, the channel has a high resistance. Um, so if you're trying to force a lot of current through there, you get a lot of power dropped across the FET and it could blow. Um, same as if you overvoltage a FET, but, you know, the failure is a different mechanism. So just, just good, some good stuff in there. A lot of good discussion. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to leave some links in the show notes for that. Definitely. Um, well, tell you what, there was one I found that uh, was kind of interesting that uh, it was talking about an engineer was saying, it seems as it seems that almost everyone at work hates being an engineer. What about you? And uh, uh, this poster said that uh, they had been a civil engineer for nine years. And uh, see, I've been a civil engineer for nine years now, and I despise it. I find the work overall very tiring, very political, and for all, very little reward other than pay. And so this was obviously a person that was sort of down on on the engineering profession. And I just thought that uh, it, it, it raises a, a couple of interesting issues. One is that engineers tend to be creative individuals. They tend to be problem solvers. They like pr- problem solving. But we really like solving new problems. And businesses are all about profit generation and doing the same thing over and over and over because it makes profit. And anything that changes their ability to make profit, they don't like. And so we have a certain tension between what the engineers want to do uh, and what the business wants the engineers to do. And they would love and I, you know, obviously there are some forward looking businesses and some uh, innovative leaders and, and it varies from company to company, but one has to realize that the focus of the business is to find some recipe, you know, almost like McDonald's churning out hamburgers, you know, Hey, if we make hamburgers and we make a billion hamburgers, we can lay, we can make a boatload of money. And uh, for engineers who want to be creative, I think it's really tough to, uh, sometimes if you, especially if you're in a company where they need people, they can't automate it. So they can't put it in a computer program, but they do need people to sit down and review the drawings or go through quality control or manage their vendors or whatever they need to do, where you're doing the same thing day after day and not getting a lot of thanks for it because there's nothing too innovative. You're doing the same thing that engineers a year before and 10 years before we're doing. Sure, it can be frustrating, and in that case, the reward is is the pay. Uh, but uh, I guess my point is just understand what the business is looking for, what you're looking for. There, there's more than one employer in the world, and if you're really frustrated with uh, what what you're doing at work, maybe it's time to go look for for another job. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'd also you know point anybody who feels similar towards our episode about. Uh, dealing with burnout and, you know, trying to find hobbies outside of work. So it's not all you focus on. Um, also see, you know, it, I mean, unless you truly work for an awful, awful company, um, there, there's usually some way you can change your current situation, whether it's, uh, you know, publishing a, an internal white paper or something to educate people so they can see your, your point of view on a problem or, you know, there, there's something you can do or working on a, a side project. If you know, Thursdays are your down days because so-and-so goes to play golf and the, the fab is always real busy. So you can never send anything down to the machine shop. So you find yourself with a lot of free time. There's always those usual little side projects that get kicked off, you know, till there's, there's time in the future. Mm-hmm. And if you work on that instead of your main work, you know, it still gets you some of that new problem solving. 
uh, instead of doing the same old monotonous stuff day after day. So that, that's kind of what I've done in, in work. Uh, you know, there's a big shelf of old equipment that doesn't work for one reason or another. So I'll look at the service tags and see, eh, I think I might be able to fix this and I'll, I'll take it apart and look at the book and see what I can do. Mm-hmm. And if I can, I'll put it back together and it goes back on the shelf. But I was able to fix a few things throughout the last year. And then I send them off for, uh, whatever company does our calibration and, if it passes Cal, it comes back in and goes into service. And, you know, it's just some cool little problem. And it's different than answering the same email over and over again, worded differently. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's not great. You know, I'm not making any extra money for that, but it, it does keep me fresh and it, it breaks up the monotony. And, you know, like I said, it's something small I could do to improve my position. I also meant taking up rock climbing, if you can. I've started a couple months ago and it's awesome. Hmm. And so I, you know, I, uh, when I think of rock climbers, I think about these guys that have long, skinny fingers and just incredible grip strength. Now, is this something you have naturally or is this developing as you start hanging from rocks? Oh, no, it develops. I, you know, I, <laughs> I always had a solid handshake, but you need a little more than that to climb some rocks. <laughs> and, uh, no, it, it's, it's great fun. It's, uh, it's nice. It's, it's, I liken it to swimming. Wherein, you know, you're exhausted while you're doing it and afterwards, but I mean, for the most part, it's not like you've ran a marathon or lifted, you know, 500 pounds. You don't really feel it the next day where you're like, oh my God, I can't move. Right. Um, so it's, it's pretty low impact and climbing the walls is challenging. Um, so you're always working on a new problem and it's a great way to unwind. So this, thus far, are you only working, uh, on artificial walls or are you actually gone to actual rocks? So far, uh, artificial walls. I was waiting until I kind of knew what I was doing before I took to an actual uh, actual mountain. Excellent. Yeah. Although, uh, I don't know. The rock climbing gym I go to does do trips out to uh, Pilot Mountain here in North Carolina. So I think the next time they do one of those, I'll probably jump on it. Okay. Hmm. Still do the beginner, beginner runs, <laughs> to be sure. <laughs> right. Well, another thing that this uh – this guy definitely touched on is, is, is politics. And I'll at least give my perspective on politics. It, sure. It seems the people who, who complain about politics are the people who either don't play the game or don't play the game well. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, sometimes you got to play the game. It's, it's just the way of, of the world. Unfortunately, we're, we're humans are very political beings. And, uh, at least I don't have a good way around it. If either of you guys has a good way around it, I will gladly take that advice. Get a good boss who shields you from it. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I was, I would be a poor person because that was, that's definitely one of my problems is I, I was aware of the politics going on, but I couldn't understand it. And at the time I couldn't find anybody that would even talk about it. It was like, it was like I was seeing something that no one else was seeing. Uh, but I don't think people had a, a framework uh, to talk about it or understand it. And I was young enough and naive enough that I didn't really understand what was going on, that that was, that was politics, the way of the world. And um, it just seemed like strange voodoo black magic to me. I couldn't figure out, I just couldn't figure out, you know, exactly what was going on. I just knew that I didn't understand it and I wasn't part of it. And uh, it was it definitely wasn't benefiting me. Hmm. 
Okay, must just be me then. <laughs> what must no, must just be you and what? Well, I, I I mean I I don't necessarily enjoy politics a lot, but um, I, I've you know realized that's the way things work, and um, yeah. oh, I think that's. I think that's all to your advantage, Adam. Oh, I, I, mean, I, 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 I don't deny that. Yes, yes. Um, but it, it, you know, spending a little time and, and, and analyzing that problem, and that's really what it is, is it's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a technical problem, but it, it is a problem in, in getting to know what various people's positions going to be and how various people react to various things. It's, um, it's important, and, and that's, how you, uh, that's how you get ahead. Uh, mostly, yes. I, the if if no other lesson I learned is that uh, uh, you can do a you can do a beautiful job, but if no one's aware of you doing that job, if there's no publicity, if there's no marketing, if there's no communications about what you've done, it's as though you never did it. Yep. All right. So we've uh, we've uh, covered that this person's frustration with uh, hating their job. Any any uh, questions there on Reddit you found, Adam, that were a little more upbeat. Oh, let me see. Well, here's another one. Um, there was uh, somebody looking around for uh, recommendations on design books and resources. Um, mm-hmm. And just to take kind of take a little bit of a spin on this. Um, what are your guys' favorite books or references that you use on a regular basis? And, and what do you use it for and why? Oh, well, I think I've covered this before. Machinery handbook. It has <laughs> every, as a design engineer, as a mechanical design engineer, it had everything I needed. You know, it, it had standards for bolts and screws and nuts. It had, uh, calculations for, uh, you know, deformations and, uh, uh, it just had, it had all kinds of useful information. And, and even when I wasn't designing anything, I could find an interesting chapter and read through it and, uh, learns things. So that was definitely my favorite design book. Okay. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll answer. Um, and this is very much because of my field, but it's the uh, manual on uniform traffic control devices, <laughs> which sounds like an extremely boring book. It's in my bathroom game. read right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a better bedtime read than anything. <laughs> Oh well, no, it's my bathroom read because it bores the shit out of me. <laughs> it, it, it probably would. Uh, <laughs> um, so what was that? What was that title again? The the manual on manual on uniform traffic control devices. Okay. Oh, I got to mute. I got to run to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's um, what it is. Is it's a book about all of the various basically things that drivers uh, ways we communicate with the driver as traffic engineers and why things are the way they are and what the rules are. And, um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I mean, it's really a rule book for engineers, um, which lawyers have found successfully. Um, but it's got a huge amount of information on, on why things are the way they are and, and the right way to do things. Um, not to mention the fact that there's a, a legal uh, obligation to follow it, but um, it, it's actually kind of, of interesting to looking at, you know, like a a sign that is a a diamond. Mm-hmm. 
you know, why is it a diamond? Um, and that's because it's a warning sign, and all warning signs are diamonds. Or right. not all warning signs, but um, all diamonds are warning signs. Right. Because somebody decided that many years ago, and we, we paved the cow paths. Yep. And and now, you know, if you're driving down the road and, and you just see that there's a diamond, you don't have to be able to read that sign and kind of know that there's something up here you need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And whether you realize it or not, you do that. Well, at least most people do. Right. <laughs> right. So now is this is this a standard? You said you needed to follow it. Is it a standard or is it a is it a like a, a manual or is it a book? What what um it, it it's kind of all three. Okay. Um it's produced by the Federal Highways except in uh, 11 states which have their own version. But um yeah, and it it's a free online book that Basically, well, every state has adopted to some degree as their mm-hmm. standard. Um, so, I mean, it is a standard, but it's it's also got a little more to it than just thou shalt do it this way. Okay, so uh, I don't know. So, if you let's say you have a warning, a, a diamond warning sign, it's going to tell you what. It's going to tell you how big the letter should be, yep. what kind of reflective material to use, yep. how where the how tall the sign should be off the ground, that kind of thing. Yep. All of the above. Okay. Okay. And and for uh, is there any advanced stuff about communicating with drivers? Uh, I mean, now that we have uh, uh, now that we have hackers being able to control cars, uh, that may provide some interesting things. But but you know, is communicating via Bluetooth with the drivers or anything? Is is anybody talking about that? Um, it's definitely a topic of discussion. It's it's not in the book yet. But uh, that's that's cool stuff that we're headed in. Okay, well, I was kind of joke. I was kind of joking, but I'm glad to hear that some forward-thinking civil engineers are worried about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it's coming. Uh, the the connected vehicles and and uh, connection to to cell phones and uh, it's kind of a a very it's a very exciting time uh, in in uh, transportation. If you, if you can get into this stuff, because I think in the next 10 years, things are going to be very different in the way we communicate with drivers. Oh, or, I think so. Lesser so the drivers and more the cars. Right. Well, or, or you know, will we, will we have the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the glasses on, the augmented reality glasses that are bringing information and feeding us uh, real-time data from Google or somebody about – Traffic and that kind of stuff. I mean, we kind of have it, but it's not really um, projected onto the uh, onto the real world that we see. the uh, The auto manufacturers are doing some pretty cool stuff, uh, and it, it, it's if this stuff comes to fruition, it, what they say it is, um, and they're talking five, ten years. It's it's going to be cool. Okay, so. Uh, if you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the number of engineers being hired between now and I, I think it was like 2022, 2020 or 2022, something like that, uh, civil engineers was one of the uh, subdisciplines that was going way up. And so are you, are you seeing that, Adam? Are, are, are the number of hires going up? Are people, are people getting ready to, to gear up for all this? Uh, I guess a, a revolution in the way we handle traffic and roads and all that, uh, that sort of stuff, as well as, 
uh, just the number of just the sheer number of civil engineers we need to replace all the infrastructure that's uh, starting to deteriorate here in the United States. Um, well, I, I also am going to add a third a third factor is um, there's a lot of retirements coming. Hmm. Okay. Um, where I work, something like thirty percent of the workforce could walk. Um, with full retirement. Wow. Um, and, and that number increases to something like 45% in the next five years or something like that. And I, I don't know if those numbers are quite right, but it, it's on that magnitude. Um, right. And I don't know if, if uh, where I work is typical, but I have a suspicion it is. Um, so there's going to be a lot of retirements coming up. Um, we've got a infrastructure system which was largely built post World War II with a forty to fifty year design life, mm-hmm. um, which uh, guess what? It's about that forty to fifty years or slightly more. Slight, I would say slightly more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, my math isn't real good, but forty five plus fifty would put us about nineteen ninety five. So I think we're well beyond that now. <laughs> um, so we've got that that infrastructure, which was never really designed to last as long as it is, and uh, we've got everything's growing. Um, the economy depends on transportation, and uh, you know the, the only way to sell X widget is to get X widget to the person who wants it. Right, um, and we're building more and more stuff. Yeah, and and not to get too far off traffic, but. But if we go to these automated vehicles, you know, self-driving vehicles, uh, I, I don't know is that it really changes your job too much in the short term. But but certainly the the notion that you've got to handle a mix of human drivers and automated vehicles at some point, say, 15 years in the future or maybe only five years in the future, who, who knows? Uh, that's got to be that's got to be interesting. It, it Yeah, it's going to be. Um, I just wish we kind of knew what that was going to look like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure like every other adventure and, you know, that uh, humans have come up on, we, we adapt, right? So we'll figure out, we'll figure something out. Yep. And and let's let the, uh, the hundred percent automated vehicles thing be, uh, roughly 40 years from now when I'm, or maybe even a little less than that, 30 years when I'm, you know, ready for a nice retirement. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you're just saying let the next guy handle it well well i i don't want to be put out of a job gotcha gotcha <laughs> at least until i'm ready to be put out of a job well i th- i certainly expect that it's going to be a different uh world i mean now all of a sudden you're having to uh design your roads to accommodate the needs of the automated vehicles and so to the extent that that you know we need say automated uh, fueling or we need automated, uh, you know, sensor control, or we, you need to embed some sort of data, you know, high-speed data fiber in the uh, road so that they can pick up on data as they drive along. I don't know what the needs are, but I would certainly think there there's just as many engineering challenges with with a automated vehicle fleet as there would be with uh, human drivers. Yeah, but automated vehicles listen a little better. Uh, and, and maybe- <laughs> Um, to, to put that in perspective, you know, the, a computer is going to do what a computer is told to do and a computer right. doesn't miss things. It's told, mm-hmm. um, people are, you know, you're driving and uh, there's tons of exercises for this 
where, okay, so what's the thing difference between these two pictures? And nobody sees it. And usually it's something really, like, really important. If you were driving in this, in this situation and you missed this, this is a big deal. Um, but you know, the number of times somebody says, well, there was no sign. I never saw a sign. And there were four signs. Mm-hmm. And I, I verified there's four signs. There's just, there's so much stuff going on. Humans can't take it all, but a computer. You tell the computer that there's a detour ahead. You only have to tell it once. Hmm. So you're saying that our robot overlords will not be distracted by Instagram? Yes. (laughs) Are you sure? Maybe they'll really like Instagram. Well, I think that they'll be good enough to multitask. Actually multitask. Uh, Yeah, probably so. (laughs) (laughs) Probably so. So so how are things in in, uh, your industry? Uh, Carmen, lots of lots of new engineers or or lots of engineers retiring. What's what's the state look like from from what you see? Uh, mix of both. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not like uh, physical or as physical as civil, where you have to go out to the job site and you know, I, I don't know exactly what Adam does, dig ditches or something. I don't but, think he uh, digs ditches. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I look at street signs. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, so you get, you get some of the guys who have been around for 40, 50 years, but, uh, I see design still pretty hot field. Right. Um, that being said, going, so there's a lot of new, new blood coming in, but, uh, going back to the reference books question, um, I don't necessarily know if I have reference books, so to say, but I, I'm always referencing various app notes and stuff that the companies publish, um, whether it's one on, uh, power loss and MOSFETs or, you know, just um, like that general analog pocket reference that TI puts out for simple stuff with, uh, you know, binary to decimal conversion because I'm too lazy to do it in my head or, you know, I'm making an Excel spreadsheet. And yes, I know the charging equation for a capacitor. And yes, I could probably rederive it. But having it right here and this little PDF I printed out and threw on my desk, just just a lot better to have handy. Eliminates that mistake later. As I'm debugging whatever it is I'm doing. Okay. Well, so uh, we uh, we do have a couple of uh, good reference books or uh, reference materials that we can turn to. Although I agree, Adams is a little dry. But then I guess I guess somebody would say Machinery's uh, Handbook is also a little dry. So I guess it depends so on binary to decimal conversion. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we've we've right. uh, decided engineering can be kind of dry. Uh, well, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. The, the scary part is that we find it interesting, despite that. I don't know if I'd call that scary, but, you know. It's a little... We're sc- also inside the Matrix. It's a little scary if you step back for a second. True. I mean, it isn't uh, that we all grew up and go, gee, I wish someday that I would find great interest in a 1,600-page a manual that <laughs> has lots of long <laughs> words and doesn't make any sense to 98% of the uh, the public. <laughs> There's currently not a copy of the third edition of Art of Electronics on my coffee table right now. As no? I'm paging through and reading chapters. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so uh, speaking of communications and, and writing, that sort of thing, uh, I came across a query on Reddit that said, why do some engineers take pride in their lack of spelling slash grammar skills? I said, we've all seen the T-shirts and coffee mugs that make light of an engineer's poor spelling as if effective communication and adhering to standards aren't important to us. 
So I've, I definitely have seen the, the little comics and stuff that says something like I are an engineer, that type of thing. Uh, so what do you guys think? Uh, do engineers take pride in their lack of communication skills? Thankfully, not any that I've worked with. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this one, they was kind of just missing a joke there, but uh, it, it, communicating is very important. You know, if I if I miscommunicate to a customer how to best apply our parts, then, you know, so at some point I'm going to pay for that, whether it's a week down the road or six months down the road when they have boards back and are ready to go to production and some issue pops its head up. If I don't communicate effectively, uh, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more uh, more owning this this common weakness, not necessarily uh, take uh, you know uh, taking pride, but more yeah. A lot of engineers aren't very good at spelling. It's true. Yeah. It's not a good thing, but it is. But I can see, and I have experienced situations where engineers take their their ability to express things in equations you know, abstract notions that we learn in engineering school, that sort of thing. And then they turn it against those who have not been to engineering school or don't have strength in those skills as though anybody who can't understand their ability to say converse in Maxwell's equations are somehow defective people or, or not to be, uh, you know, not to be uh, uh, given full, uh, full respect because they don't have that ability. Yeah, and if you if you want to draw a funny funny parallel, at least to me or whatever, and I don't know if this one hundred percent holds true, but who who converses in Maxwell's equations? I mean, when I'm interfacing <laughs> with a, even engineers in our company, you know, the design engineers who have to build the IC, very rarely does the, uh, you know, does the conversation devolve into super super technical, you know mathematics and semiconductor theory and everything. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, at times it does, but I can probably count a number of, you know, number of times on one hand right. in the, the four years I've been there. And, you know, an engineer might make fun of, you know, say a creative writing major or an English major for, you know, learning uh, Chaucer's, the, you know, Canterbury Tales, but they're not running around speaking to each other in old English or anything. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> They're talking about it and referring to the you know the common themes, their favorite passages, and that's not really that much different than applying Maxwell's equations, yeah, or you know the the working knowledge of it. Right, right. Well, I go, I go back to my early earlier conversation about businesses and what they want. They want to you know gear up the business so things work smoothly uh, and without. Uh, risk and without unanticipated consequences. And to the extent that an engineer's job involves, you know, to reduce the company's risk, a lot of what an engineer has to do is that communications, talking to people, making sure people understand what's going on, making sure people understand the technical implications. Uh, there's just so much of what an engineer does that is that sharing information, that communicating, that informing, uh, exactly what you were talking about, Carmen. Yeah. Yeah, if you go on vacation and don't leave tips for, you know, someone to do your job while you're gone, well, you're going to come back and have a lot of catching up to do <laughs> and need another vacation. <laughs> right. And unfortunately, Adam, since you're in the uh, the public sector, you're you're very isolated from that. You don't have to deal with, with uh, all these people issues, right? No, of course not. My, my, <laughs> my desk phone number isn't posted on the internet or anything like that. <laughs> 
Right. And, and so you've talked about this a little bit in the past, but but so you said that usually you don't get calls directly from uh, uh, from uh, the citizens of your state, but uh, usually from somewhere someone somewhere in the chain there uh, for your organization. But how often do you get a call from someone going, "I I drove through this traffic intersection and it, it's an abomination" or something like that? Stupid. It'll be a lot more often once we publish that number. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I suppose that's you said probably that, so. You said something about you don't get calls, and then my internet cut out. Oh, so I was saying you. you uh, I know you don't get calls very often from uh, uh, the travelers in your state uh, directly. You, you had indicated in the past that you get calls from people in your organization who have gotten the uh, the word. But I'm just wondering how often you would get a call from somebody saying that uh, they had traveled through a particular intersection and they didn't think you'd done a very good job. Um. I don't get a huge number, but um, I have a coworker who who gets probably about a half a dozen a day. Wow. <laughs> oh. Okay. And I'm glad that she does that, uh, so I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and it's just my little little itty bitty portion of the state. Um. So, um, that's what it is. All right. Well, we've uh, we've uh, we've covered a few questions then, and uh, maybe uh, maybe it's time to uh, wrap it up. Give the uh, give the good folks over at Reddit more time to uh, to populate their uh, their boards with more questions that we can answer in some future episode. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you guys next time. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education, located on the web at bigbeacon.org. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our theme music is by Paul Stevenson.